completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Your company has a story to tell. And the best way to get your story heard is to land that all-important media mention. But PR hasn't changed much since, well, pretty much ever. Ricky Yen and his team at Upstart realize that the problem is one of coordination. Journalists getting way too much of what they don't need and not enough of what they do. His solution is machine learning, which can lead to a lot more informed pitching and, at the end of the day, a better relationship between companies and the people helping to tell their stories. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. Ricky, one thing that you've written about that I think is really interesting is that the media industry is experiencing what you call a massive coordination problem. What do you mean by that? Uh, I think there isn't a efficient marketplace like everywhere else. Like we could, um, you know, get a ride just by pressing a phone. There's a driver right there and uh, we could go live somewhere, travel anywhere and get a room uh, in someone else's house. Um, and it's all coordinated. It's all working efficiently. And especially in, you know, if you consider PR part of, you know, marketing tech, we've seen the emergence of a lot of uh, advertising networks and, uh, and the sort. And uh, when, when it comes to PR, media, and journalism, it still works in a very uncoordinated fashion. And uh, not that it should be completely coordinated, but um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And if you see it from uh, both participants, uh, both sides, uh, the media side, uh, as well as the people with good stories to tell, they're having a hard time finding each other. And that's one of the biggest struggles. I think both sides want to improve the coordination as well. Yeah, it's like a constant missed connection. So, I mean, p- paint that picture for me of the pain. So if I'm a PR professional, what does my day look like typically? Well, first, there's a lot of great uh, stories that are just buried. So as a PR professional or as, you know, an operator at a company um, or maybe a, a marketing professional that's you know, wearing many, many hats like you have to these days. First, you have to find the stories and, and, uh, and create something interesting and worth sharing. Mm-hmm. And that, that is already an extreme challenge. Uh, and then even when you have everything ready, you still have to uh, do the whole PR thing, which, you know, these days from the PR professional's perspective or the operator's perspective is either spamming a huge list of journalists uh, that end up getting very little play or, you know, a, lo- a little bit of like trying to research them better and understand them better, getting to know them, which is a, it's like dating, but it's not like really dating because you're, you're doing it over the internet. You're basically stalking people. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then stalking, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and then you're sending some messages here and there that like may not be on the mark at all, and then kind of ignoring the other side, which is from a journalist perspective, they're just getting bombarded with emails, and and that's not going to stop anytime soon. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was thinking like, okay, I just trace it back, like you know, if we were journalists in the past, you know, maybe like I start from when there were like Telegram messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get some Telegram messages coming to the newsroom from Newswire services, and then you 
maybe uh, have a telephone and then you maybe have multiple telephones and then it's ringing off the hook and then you get uh, email and then you have 50 emails, 100 emails. And these days you have 300, 500 and it's not going to stop anytime right. soon. <laughs> it's not going to stop. So so it's basically it's basically desperation meets defensiveness. It's the right. whole like arrangement right now. Right. Yeah. So it's getting a little bit out of hand. And I think we're seeing that in the in the work Yeah. that as readers and consumers, we're seeing it. And then uh, the industry itself is feeling it and in, in terms of its impact on the business. So you looked at that and you decided to try to take a hand at solving that with data analysis. We were software people, basically. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, you see a problem and you, you think about like what what is not... Uh, what could we potentially leverage and turn into something um, that might begin to address this problem a little bit better? Uh, and one of the things that's obvious to us, uh, given our backgrounds, is just how much data is out there that we could leverage uh, in order to uh, improve what it essentially is, 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 is a matching problem. Uh, mm-hmm. So how can we use a le- existing data that we can get from the internet publicly to uh, help improve that problem. And the results were good from the get-go. Um, the little bit of data that we collected were able to help us really uh, bring stories to the right journalists or reporters. And that was very encouraging to us in the beginning. So are you scanning articles, Twitter feeds? What, ki- what are your data sources? Yeah, so we're all that and more. The biggest, most explicit type of like signals are articles, right? So we definitely have a huge operation that we're scanning all the articles that you've ever written if you're a journalist. And then I think what's interesting is you definitely notice a lot. Um, Like an example would be like, if you are a business journalist, maybe that's your title and you maybe you have a beat that's networking companies like Cisco or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, and that's what you would say maybe at at a dinner party as like, this is what I cover. But if you look at the behavior, oftentimes this is a lot more everywhere else. Uh, and Cisco definitely shows, we show up once in a while, but it's, there's a lot of other stuff that a journalist would be interested in. Uh, and maybe there's a lot of pressure to also just create a lot of content in general right. and, and ma- make news. Those things are not as kind of explicitly understood, even from the journalist's perspective. How are you able to determine the right patterns, right? So how do you make sure that you're not picking up on something that is a anomaly or a red herring? Yeah, that's uh, so that's that's really interesting. Like I had a conversation with a a journalist in the past where she had written an article about let's just say like electric transport <laughs> and uh, three years ago. Just that one time. She never one let it time. down. Yeah, and to this day, to this day. You know, she still gets pitched. And the real story is she was filling in for her colleague that day who's out of town, right? Like, so it wasn't even her intention to do that, to yeah. do it. And so I think if you were working at an electric transport company and you find that article, like that would give you the confirmation uh, or as, as, as much as there is to confirm your, uh, your desire to, to be good about your job. Um, but uh, I think computers are much able, better able to pick up those red herrings. Got it. And so what you're doing for the PR professional is surfacing the journalist who could be interested in their story. And what you're doing for the journalists is surfacing the right stories. Now, how is that um, any different than 
just yet another email they get. Why, what is it about the email from Upbeat that, that stands out? Yeah, I think uh, it is very much just like a, an email they get. And then part of it is we're, uh, we're creating the feedback loops that we need to improve the system. So um, in the beginning, it's, it is just an email. Uh, and then we have ways for a journalist to sort of express to us implicitly or explicitly uh, what they might be interested in, uh, what, how they feel about a particular pitch that we brought to them. And then we can just look at it from kind of implicit uh, behavior from you know basic email tracking stats as well. But then we also have uh, kind of hooks and tie-ins here and there to encourage the, or incentivize the journalists to give us more. And that is ultimately the entire environment that we're trying to create. Um, but yeah, like I, I think in the beginning, it's, it's, it's pretty indistinguishable. And that's why from our perspective, we also have to vet every single story that comes through the pipeline. And you know, just like any you know, PR firm would or any right. good PR professional would, like you, you want to make sure that you only bring quality stuff and don't contribute to the spam problem. Um, so on our end, we also have, uh, a very careful vetting process. And then we have, you know, essentially like a rubric that we use to try to make sure we weed out certain types of stories. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because so much is hinging on your reputation as a platform to make sure that you're not, you're so far away from being spammy and that you really are a different kind of solution to the PR media imbalance, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's and it's also like, we got to do it now because yeah. uh, at, at a time it, it's becoming the time is coming when like everyone's going to flip the table and it's like, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm not, not doing this anymore. Like it, the patience is so thin now. That's interesting. So you really feel like you've got a more narrow window than. Yeah, I, I, I do. Cause you know, this is this problem that just, just blowing up um, exponentially. Most journals are very incentivized to, publish their emails. And it's kind of like here in San Francisco, oftentimes I talk to investors here and there and, and it's, it's, it's very similar to investors that like you want to be in front of deal flow. You want to have proprietary deal flow. Uh, you want to see things before other people. And so you like make yourself very available. Yeah. Um, yeah. So journalists do that as well. And then they all, of course, that's also the same reason why you would put up gatekeepers to kind of help you uh, filter out the noise. What you're approximating is the the familiarity of the targeting of a of a good relationship between a PR professional and um, a journalist. It feels like a lot of PR still sort of comes down to that relationship. A journalist knows who they can call to get the story. PR person knows not to harass them with irrelevant stuff. Can you really mechanize that process with data? Do you lose something of the relationship in that process? Yeah, I, I think um, the question that we ask is like, what is behind the relationship like ask a few more why questions like oh you know pr is all about relationships or uh, maybe a journalist says oh it's you know i gotta know you and so you gotta ask a few more questions to kind of get to like what is the the actual utility of of that relationship if you were best friends with a journalist but your story is not there like the journalist is not going to kind of put his or her career at stake just to write a, a puff piece about your, your company. So like there's, there's a little bit of something that's beyond the relationships. Right. Um, and so I think it's, it's almost like too easy to just say the relationship. Right. So are you saying that this idea of the relationship is kind of overblown or are you saying that 
this allows people to get all of the pitch work mechanized so that they can focus on the relationship? Yeah, I think they can definitely focus on the relationship much better. And um, they can also focus on getting good stories. I, I think we, we tell this to our, our customers all the time because a lot of them are small companies. And yeah. it's really about the story you bring to the table. So who do you think this is a better product for? And you can't say both. Is it better for the journalists or is it better for the PR professional? Um, Hmm, I can't say both. Okay. <laughs> I painted um, you into a corner. I, I think at the moment, it, it is better for the PR professional. And I think this is why I think if you just think about what a product does in terms of the time that it saves you and the, uh, the efficiency gains and the, the intelligence gains mm -hmm. that you get, I think a lot of the, mech the parts that PR professionals are much more willing to mechanize is being mechanized by our system. And so time can be spent elsewhere. And I think that is a desire that is there for sure. Do you think there's ever going to be a day that we can really have machine learning do this all for us, a day without the PR professional? I think the stories are kind of stuck in people's heads and it takes you know 20 different methods to get them out. And people naturally you know, tell stories. Like one thing that we, we notice for sure is people tell stories to each other. They, they find when it comes to telling a story to a, a robot, a software platform, ah, it becomes a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, just try to encourage somebody to write a blog post and already you, you see how much, how hard that is right. rather than, oh, just like, we just had a really good lunch conversation about this topic. Why don't you just write it down? Like, no, that's another step. That's so hard. <laughs> yeah. And there's a formality that gets into that too. Right. All right. So let's shift gears for a moment. Because um, okay. we've talked a lot about journalists and media. I'd love to know how you think about, quote unquote, influencers like Tim Ferriss, Gary Vee, Bill Simmons. Do you consider them to be media? Would you be pitching them? How do you consider them? I, I definitely do consider them as competitors to, you know, your typical New York Times and, and TechCrunch or Entrepreneur or something like that. Um, they're definitely, uh, I think the, the end goal is attention at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, or audience, and that is something that these influencers can provide. Um, a lot of these blogs are essentially professionalized influencers, right? It's definitely the same uh, in terms of that. And in terms of how you go about pitching them is a little bit different, um, mm -hmm. simply because one big differentiator is if you had an editorial-driven media organization, you're getting paid to do it. Uh, you're getting paid a salary to do it. Um, if you're a small blog, uh, you're not really getting a salary. You're completely dependent on uh, events, sponsorships, that kind of stuff. Right. And, and so your desire to look at pitches that are unpaid um, or like, why would you? Like you have your own agenda. You're doing, not doing this for money. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the mechanism um, to connect the two sides there is uh, the currency is a little bit different. And not because they're like money, like it's because they're not getting a full salary to do what they do. So, you know, once they become like a real operation and advertisers are sponsoring them and they right. can hire writers and then it becomes, there's like, there's, there's money that pays them to do the job. So unfortunately these days, uh, a lot more people have to leave these um, traditional editorial operations, like, like the New York times have to downsize ESPN, whatever. Uh, and then, pursue either freelance where they don't have a reliable income or pursue like their own mm -hmm. thing. 
And uh, yeah, I think that, that that actually makes it slightly harder for the PR professional. Um, the currency is just different. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Do you think that the priority has shifted to make these sort of big, big thought leaders more important than kind of your classic journalism? Or what do you see there? Uh, I think right now there's still a gap between, there's the halo effect of the, the brand. You know, if you were to tell somebody, especially in the, maybe in like the productivity space that, you know, you got placed in, let's say like entrepreneur.com versus Tim Ferriss. I think there's a little bit of cachet still on the, on the, on the entrepreneur side. Like Tim Ferriss needs to keep doing his thing mm -hmm. so that he, so that he could, he could have a much bigger brand. Like he already does have a big, one of the biggest ones, but unfortunately I think entrepreneur still wins out. And then I think another thing is people aren't looking that closely and they should, they should look at the audience side. They should look at the, right. the referral traffic, the quality of the referral traffic and actually become more disciplined about that kind of stuff. Um, but for now, PR is not being treated like the rest of the marketing discipline, or at least where the rest of the marketing discipline has have been moving towards. Ricky, knowing what you know about the space and everything you've seen in building Upbeat, how optimistic are you for this industry looking ahead? Um, actually, I'm, uh, I'm pretty optimistic. I think I uh, we, we chose to dive in because like essentially, you know, we're the type that likes to run towards a fire. Um, and I think a lot of people are giving up on the industry and leaving. Um, you know, you can't build a media company or you don't want to be in the media business because it's too tough, that kind of stuff. And my perspective is we're at a tipping point, like it's blowing up and uh, there's going to be a new infrastructure that gets built to kind of support the future of media. And it's going to happen during this transition period. And that is kind of amazing. And, yeah. and I, I think over the last couple of years, people have been talking about how this is the golden age of media. Like you have, you have great reporting at the same time as a lot of clickbait stuff, right? But you, all, you, have great, you have great videos, you have great TV, you have great movies. And I think this trend is going to continue. Like we're going to have more and more golden ages. Um, as long as people, people, when the people say that, they seem to think that it's going to like not be around because like, oh, it's not sustainable. Business models haven't been figured out. Because it's so good, people like me and I know many other teams are like, we're trying to figure out better infrastructure forward for the media. And I definitely think that's what part of what we're building, at least a small part. Um, and I'll hopefully make it better in the future. That's awesome. Ricky Yen, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we appreciate you explaining, you know, your, your approach to this and um, best of luck with everything with Upbeat. It's a fascinating company. Cool. Thank you so much. Hey, you're still here. Good on you. Thanks for sticking around. I have one last real quick ask. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. I know. I know. It sounds played out but it actually helps people find the show. And it makes my mom proud. So thank you in advance. Oh, and hi, mom. <laughs>